multiple different ty- types of risk. I think the two two of the main types are going to be money risk, like financial risk, but then also time risk. So if you are investing your time in something, like the saying is like time is money. And that is, I think, very, very true because like you can trade your time for money basically whenever, especially if you have a skill like lashes. Hello, everybody, and welcome to My, my Lash 2 Brain Cells. I'm your co-host today, You're Maddie crazy. Morris, and, and this is your host host, Elliot. Elliot Morris. You guys asked for it. I always ask, what do you want to hear about coming up on the podcast? And everyone's like, more from Elliot. You guys loved his Economics with Elliot episodes. So we'll bring it back. We're bringing it back. We'll bring it back. You asked, we listened. We love educating the girly pops. So I'm going to sit back and respond to DMs. And when I have anything to chime in, I will. Awesome. I hope you guys like Elliot. Um, Can you, could you stay, stay here for the first little bit? Yeah, totally. Okay. Just so I can get going. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so today what I wanted to talk about was, um, I was thinking about like different topics for, you know, an economics with Elliot episode. And this is so important. You guys, we're going to be talking about risk and business. Yeah. I think a lot of people ask us questions and so much of it gets down to understanding risk and understand. I think this is one of the big like fundamentals of business. Um, and so if you understand how risk works and how like returns work, um, you'll be equipped to understand like a lot of like kind of the practical questions that people ask. And you'll have more confidence making bigger and better decisions. Yes, absolutely. Because you'll, you'll understand like, you know, how to make those decisions. This actually changed the way that you and I do business because Elliot learned and understood a lot more about how to understand risk. Whereas I was very risk averse. And now that a few years have passed, when we go to make big life altering decisions, I just have a lot more peace and clarity on them because I, I understand risk now. Yeah, that's so true. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So fundamentally, risk is a very, it's a very vague word that we, um, that people in business or economics use to quantify um, kind of the amount of downside that something could have. So return in business or in any investments that you make is going to always be proportional to risk. That's kind of like a universal truth of business that risk is proportional to return. So the more risk you take on, the more return you generally are able to get. And this isn't like a a rule where it's like an equation where it's like, oh, you take on this amount of risk. Why, why are why are we doing this? We're doing a, such an informative episode. <laughs> Masson's over here watching watching TikTok dances. Um, so uh, risk is always going to be proportional to return, but it is not a like constant proportion. There'll be some times where there'll be a high amount of risk with a low amount of return. That's going to be a bad opportunity. Sometimes there's a a fairly low amount of risk with a high opportunity for return. And that maybe could be a really good business. And so to kind of break down how to understand and how to think about this and how, not how to think about this, but how I think about this, um, I'm going to give some examples and um, talk about how um, I've kind of shaped my understanding of risk and return in business um, so that we can kind of demystify this, what I see as a fundamental building block of how business can be 
done and how businesses are built. Does that, yes. that sound good? All right. So I think there's, I'm just here for morals. Support. Yeah. You're, you're the, you're, you're my woo girl. Yeah. Today. I'm, I'm like the bottle woo. girls that are just like, woo. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. When they, when they ask him to put on the like sign, they're like Dogecoin to the moon. Yeah. And they're yeah, like, yeah. I don't know what this is, but woo. woo. Um, okay. So to kind of illustrate this, I'm going to give examples of different things that you can do that have like different levels of risk. So starting with, level one, which I think is the lowest amount of risk that you could kind of take on in business. It's going to be having a job, like going out, getting a job. It's not zero risk because you still um, are risking um, your time and you have the, the like risk of getting fired from your job or getting laid off um, or the business that you're working for goes out of business and then you you don't have a job anymore. Um, and And when I talk about risk, risk can be um, I think what a lot of people think about is like money, like you put money in investment and, and the risk is that like the money goes down and then the return is that is the possibility that the money goes up. There's, I think, multiple different ty types of risk. I think the two, two of the main types are going to be money risk, like financial risk, but then also time risk. So if you are investing your time in something like the saying is like time is money and that is, I think, very very true because like you can trade your time for money basically whenever especially if you have a skill like lashes like you have a skill that then you can trade your time doing that skill for money and so any time that you invest in something is a form of you taking on risk because you're um risking kind of the opportunity cost of not doing something else by saying i'm gonna get this job then those are hours that you could not spend doing something else that could potentially, you know, have a higher return or maybe the other options that you have for those hours would potentially give you a lower return and you think there's less likelihood of success there, in which case like getting a job could be the best decision. And so with all these, I don't, I'm not going to, I, none of these are like, oh, you should do this one because this is better or you should do this one because this is better. I want to kind of uh, give an overview of like what the risks are of each of these opportunities and um, vehicles. And when I when I say vehicle, I mean like a place that you can put your resources, whether those resources are time or money, you can take that time or money, put it into a vehicle, and then that vehicle will take you somewhere. That vehicle may like take you off a cliff and then it goes down, or maybe that vehicle takes you up a mountain and then it goes up. Um, and that's kind of, that's just like a little vocab of like how I like to think about it is like you think of you're putting your, um, your eggs, like your, your time or your money or your resources into a vehicle. And then you're trying to use that vehicle to get somewhere. So the first vehicle that you could be putting your time into is getting a job. And when you work a job, um, I, I, the other reason I really like to think about it this way is because I think getting a job is kind of the default for, for most people. Um, and most people think, oh, like I don't want to start a business. So, or, or like they don't even think about like starting a business. They're just like, no, I graduated high school. Now I get a job. And that's like the default. But I think it's really a very, um, I think it can be very, uh, beneficial to think about getting a job as like you actually investing in something and you putting your um, resources into a vehicle and that vehicle is the job. And so it's not like the default, it's just one option. So 
if you get a job, your um, risk is fairly low. Um, especially if you're like newer, you're like starting out, you're like younger in your career, you don't have like super high level skills um, because then your time isn't isn't as valuable as it would be if you were like later on in your career or you had more valuable skills because the more valuable your skills are, the more valuable your time is. And so if you're like just out of college, maybe you just graduated beauty school, your the value of your time is the lowest it's likely going to be for the rest of your life hopefully the, the value of your time continues to, to go up as you like increase your skill set and, and, and grow. Um, and so getting a job, you're not incurring a ton of risk by doing that because you're, the value of your time isn't super high and you're um, just trading that time for a secure, like pretty sure paycheck. Like as long as business doesn't go out of business and as long as um, you like keep doing a good job and they, they keep you on and they don't have to do layoffs, like you have a secure paycheck. Um, then we step up one level of risk, which I would see, I think kind of the next level up of risk is going independent, um, where you are taking on some of the risk of running the business yourself in exchange for a larger cut of the profits of that business. Like, I mean, a larger cut, like you get all of the profits of the business, but in exchange, you're taking on, um, more overhead because you have to like find a space, you have to buy your own product, you have to do more. And you're also taking on the risk of like finding clients. Like if you're working at a salon, odds are they've already gone through like the and hard work of I finding clients. I feel like clients. a lot of lash artists always talk about like how hard it is being like you being your own boss and having your own business. They're like, oh my gosh, I have to do all the admin stuff. And like I have to do, I have to take care of unhappy clients and I have to move people around. It's like that is you know, like that that's, is why you have a That's why you reward. make more money. That's exactly. why you make more money. You're, you're trading having to do all of that stuff with making oftentimes considerably more than you could make as a employee. I don't tell everyone to go independent. There are some people that I come across that are so much more at peace and just calm in their life when they only have to physically do the service and leave. And in that case, like I would not recommend them to start their own business. Like it is way more than, than, you know. No. And, and here's the thing with all of these is like, I want to give you the like risk and reward of each of these vehicles yeah. so that you can make an informed choice as to which is best for you. If you want to trade exactly six or eight hours of your day for a secure paycheck, maybe you're in um, like a household where there's another source of income and you're just like, I want to secure a little bit um, of extra money for the family and I want to know exactly how much time I have to put in and then get um, the rest of my time to do other things like take care of my family or, or do other stuff. That is like a very valid way to approach this. Like that's, yeah. that's not a wrong answer. Like there's a lot of people who getting a job is the right decision because maybe you want to have a very secure source of income so that, um, because of your like family situation or because maybe the, the other person in your household is taking on more risky endeavors. So you want to have a really secure source of income to backstop it. Um, like when we were first starting, um, the studios, I had my engineering job, um, and we made sure that Elliot would. Yeah. And I like, we would job. not have moved to Arizona if I wasn't able to keep my no. engineering job. And, um, because I had that job that allowed us to take on more risk with the studios, like we would not have been able to start the studios if I didn't have my engineering job, because that would have been 
like too much risk. It would have been stupid to do that because yeah. then we would have like, if the studios went too far over budget or we didn't have enough money to finish them or we um, weren't able to rent them out, then we had no other options. But because we had enough to cover all of our living expenses plus some because of my engineering job, we were able to take on the risk of starting the studios um, because we had that stability. So for some people in some situations, having a job could be great. It was great for us. Um, and now we're at the point where our business is um, large enough and stable enough that we can get that stability out of the business and we can get like kind of a baseline level of income out of the business, um, partially because of the studios, because the studios are a very, um, very a, stable, a very now, stable yeah. source of income. Um, now we're able to have that kind of baseline and then take risks in other parts of the business um, because we've kind of built that up um, in, in a new way that doesn't require one of us to have a job, which is super helpful. Um, the, Do you want water? Uh, yeah, sure. That'd be great. Um, the other thing with, uh, the nice thing about being independent, like being an independent artist is that your time risk is still fairly low. Um, being an independent artist because you're getting directly paid for your time with clients. Like when you invest two hours into doing a, uh, fill or two and a half hours into doing a full set, like you're getting directly paid for that. So you're not taking on a ton of like time risk. Um, that you have a chance of, you know, not making money from because when you're spending time, odds are you're making money. Now there's some stuff you have to do like advertising and some admin stuff, but that's not a huge time sink if you compare it to the, the time you spend actually doing lashes, right? So, um, can you set that down? Thank yeah. you. Um, so the, uh, kind of stepping up from there, I think what I see in our industry, at least is kind of the third level of risk that you could take on is moving into education. Um, now, education is nice because it doesn't still doesn't require any real monetary risk um, because oftentimes you're you're monetizing the knowledge that you have, um, but it does require more time risk than um, being an, an independent artist because um, you have to invest time kind of on the front end, developing your curriculum, developing your courses, um, developing your like. Uh, training methodologies, developing your manual, that sort of thing. You have to put that time in on the front end, which can be very time consuming before you really know for sure if a lot of people are going to want your education and are going to take it. So you're kind of risking that time by putting it into something that may not pay off, like writing a manual um, in the hopes that once you start offering the trainings after you've made that manual, um, you can recoup the money from the time that you spent making the manual plus some because of the, the risk you took on uh, because of that. Um, and then um, you'll also likely have to invest more time and energy into like digital content because the way that most educators in our industry advertise themselves is through like Instagram. And so you'll, you'll most likely, if you want to move into education, have to educate or have to invest more heavily in advertising yourself online than you would if you were an artist. Um, then stepping up again to kind of the fourth level of risk, um, which this is where the kind of monetary risk starts. All the risk, all the kind of levels are below this were um, you were just really risking your time with, you know, becoming independent. There's some monetary risk because maybe you, you need to rent a salon suite, but a lot of that can be mitigated by, you know, working out of your house if you're able to do that or, um, 
doing like uh, like kind of a bed rental where it's a really cheap uh, booth rental doing month to month. Um, you can really mitigate the monetary risk. But then once you're you're getting above kind of being an educator in, in terms of kind of risk versus reward, um, you start to start incurring monetary risk. Um, and that's one of the reasons that we've really liked education is because you're able to scale education up a lot without incurring a ton of monetary risk because it's really just you're monetizing um, your knowledge and you're not um, you don't have a ton of fulfillment costs associated with it. There's not a lot of um, you don't have to buy a bunch of inventory that you can then sell for a profit. It's just you're selling the knowledge itself, which is kind of free for you to give. Um, and the only investment is really your time, but it's still able to scale a lot more than if you were a um, if you were an independent artist. Um, and the so the next kind of level of uh, of risk that you can kind of take on, um, I see it uh, as is doing something like hiring an employee. Like, say you are a um, lash artist and you're fully booked. And you're like, okay, how do I how do I expand from here? I'm fully booked. I'm doing well. How do I how do I keep scaling up? Um, one thing that probably every artist has has thought of once they've gotten to that point in their career is, oh, I should hire an employee to take some of my clients, and then you know I could take potentially twice as many clients, and then I'm just paying them a portion of what the clients are making. Um, and one thing that I think is another kind of universal truth about risk versus return is the more creative you get with your vehicle, the better your risk versus return ratio can be. So what I mean by that is if you are moving into a vehicle, if you're choosing to invest in a vehicle that is not super unique, it's something that maybe a lot of people have thought of, or it's something that kind of everyone does, or it's very commonly done, the risk reward ratio, um, the, the amount of reward you could get for a certain amount of risk is going to be lower because if a ton of people have done it and a ton of people are doing the same thing and they don't have a ton of stuff to differentiate what they're doing, um, they're all going to differentiate themselves by price and that crushes the margins of whatever you're doing. So if you are moving into a vehicle that is not as creative, just know that the margins likely aren't going to be as good because it's something that a lot of other people have um, thought to do and they're, you're going to be competing with all of them on price. So for something like hiring an employee, it's not an extremely creative vehicle. So um, it's likely not going to be extremely profitable. You can look at the kind of risk versus reward on it. We can break it down. So the risks of hiring an employee are going to be you're managing even more overhead than if you were a, an independent artist. Um, you have to deal with now quality control because it's not just you you're worrying about. You have to make sure that someone else is putting out work that you are happy with so that your brand stays strong. And then you also have to you have the risk of payroll like you have to pay your employee. Oftentimes, like if you're hiring someone who's uh, hourly, or even if they're commission-based, you have to give them clients or else they're just going to leave. And then you just wasted all that time hiring someone and, and it's not something you want to do. So you have to, you kind of take on the responsibility of payroll for that person. Like you need to supply them with clients. You need to, um, pay them every week or else, you know, you're not in a good spot. Um, and those are kind of, I think the main risks of it. 
Um, and then the return, there's also the risk of like, you know, managing people. You have to uh, like manage another personality. If you have multiple employees, you have to, you know, there's, there's just a lot that goes into managing people. And that's a, like a skill set by itself that you have to develop. Um, and then the return for um, hiring employees is going to be like monetarily, it's going to be the price you charge for your services minus the payroll cost, what you have to pay the employee for doing the services, minus the cost of goods, minus your studio cost, because you can't really hire employees and have them work out of your house. Um, and so say you hire one employee, the return is absolutely capped somewhere below 2x what you're making from your original clientele. So if you have a full clientele, you're making X amount. Say you have a full clientele, you're making $100,000 a year. You're doing good. Then you hire an employee. Now your maximum amount that you can make from hiring that one employee is theoretically, it's like, it's gonna be somewhere less than 200,000 because you're gonna have more costs than what you had with just you because you have to pay them also. So it's gonna be 200,000 minus uh, whatever their payroll is, minus all the cost of goods, minus the studio. So then it ends up looking at probably somewhere around like 140 or 150 maybe if you're if you're doing good sometimes it can be like 120 if you're running like 20% margins which is like really common as you scale up to those margins are going to go down and you're then you're going to get somewhere around like 20% margin some people are even less than 20% margins as they start scaling up with multiple employees um, if you're just hiring like one person and uh, you're keeping like your overhead low then you can have like higher return on that, which is where you could get like maybe 140 or 150. 150 is a little unrealistic though. But, um, and that's just like kind of as an example, I'm not saying that like that's what you would make by, by hiring an employee, but that's kind of like the way I think about it is like, it's going to be somewhere between like 1.2 times or 1.1 times what you were making taking your clientele and 1.4 times what you were making taking just your clientele if you hire someone else and then kind of double the amount of clientele you're doing, which isn't an insanely huge return for the amount of work that you're putting in. So the return to the risk reward ratio, I don't think for that sort of thing is super high. And that's why you see a lot of artists out here who were like, uh, hiring employees was like a, it was like a terrible idea for me. Like I didn't make any, any money from it. It's because like, there's all these other costs that are associated with it that people don't take into account. And if you want to know how to hire employees and do it well, you should talk to Tiffany. That is so true. There, there are some people out there who have figured out how to do that and, and make it worth it. But a lot of times you can only become like really profitable with it by getting those economies of scale from having like a full spa full of employees where you can have... Um, you can get better deals on product. You can um, save money on your space because you, you have a full space that you're able to use for all your employees. There's a lot of economies of scale that can really help it out, help you increase your uh, profit margins um, if you do it the right way and um, can make it worth uh, hiring and dealing with all the, the people issues that you run into and all that. You can absolutely get a return from it. And yeah, I would definitely recommend talking to Tiffany about that if that's something that like you're interested in or maybe you have a spa that like is struggling like she's super she knows how to do it she's scaled like two spas to like over a million bucks a year and she's doing great adam her margins are great like i know for a fact her margins are fantastic on them they're way better than most spas so yeah but um the tiffany at the tiffany mitchell she is yeah, our friend and the we best. love her so much 
Um, and uh, so, yeah, so that's like hiring an employee. And that's why like that isn't if I was like going from scratch, like I was a full fully booked artist and I was like, how do I scale from here? I wouldn't be looking to hire an employee because that risk return ratio for it. It just isn't that great compared to other options, other options like um, the next. OK, the next one I have here is products. So if we we can break this one down, just like with hiring an employee, the um, starting products, it's not super creative. It's something that a lot of people have done. A lot of people have started product lines, but there is more room to differentiate with branding and there's room to differentiate with quality um, because there's a lot of people who have you know started product lines that um, they're starting them because they want to have a another source of income and they say okay i'm gonna white label some products and they do it maybe with not like the highest quality products but they do it as a way to like slightly scale up their business um you there's still a lot of room in the products market where new players can come in and differentiate themselves by you know investing more heavily in starting a product line and investing in quality and um spending a long time, you know, finding good sources and finding good suppliers and, and setting up strong logistics so that you're not out of stock of stuff. There's definitely still space to, um, differentiate, differentiate yourself there. Um, and there's also, um, a lot of room to differentiate yourself with branding also because products are going to be a lot easier, I think, to brand and create a strong brand around than services because products are like a physical thing that can come into people's hands and when they hold it, they have kind of a symbol of your brand. Whereas with services, it can be a lot harder to build strong branding because people are only experiencing your branding maybe briefly on social media throughout the week and then for like one to two hours um, every couple weeks when they come in. And so there's not as much time that you have to build a strong brand. Whereas with uh, products, there's a lot more room for you to build really strong branding because you're actually like in people's studios, in people's hands, and they're using your stuff every day. Um, the risk of products is that there's a lot of upfront investment, especially if you want to kind of start off strong and have a product line where you invest in um, really high quality stuff, um, where you invest in really good branding, where you um, invest in a good user experience for your website, um, stuff like that. Like the the investment can be large. Uh, it can be, you know, one, 200,000, uh, up to, you know, a million dollars to start a brand. Um, if you're going like really going for it, like the way that a, um, a cosmetic brand would start. Cosmetic brands are a lot more expensive to start. Like generally it can cost, you know, 500,000 to a million to start like a cosmetics brand, just because like the, uh, competition in there is so much higher. You have to have something that's unique in lashes. There's still a lot more room to differentiate yourself without spending a ton of money on R and D like you would in other industries, which brings those costs down. You can start a, a lash brand where you're white labeling stuff for as little as, you know, a couple thousand bucks just to buy the MOQs for, um, just to buy the minimum order quantity for like a supplier that you like. Yeah, um, I would not want to start like an indie makeup line in this. Day oh my age. gosh, no, I'd be absolutely terrible. So there's definitely a lot of opportunity in products, um, but it does require more upfront investment than, you know, hiring someone or going into education or something like that. Um, there's also a lot of overhead because you have to, you know, set up the logistics. You have to make sure you're not going out of stock of stuff. Um, and you also have a lot of knowledge debt 
um, which knowledge debt is like you don't know what you don't know, and there's a lot of things that you have to learn in thing. order there's to be good so at it. There's so much room for error. There's so much room for error, especially because like if you're starting a product line, you're moving into an entirely different industry from what you were doing before. If you're like doing education, that's really similar. You're just teaching people what you do. So you, there's no knowledge that there. It's just like your skills, you're learning how to transfer those skills into other people. So there's a little bit to learn, but it's not nearly as much as like moving into an entirely new industry like, uh, like products. Um, but in exchange, um, for something like products, your return is pretty much uncapped. So you can have a very large return, um, because products are something that you can scale up a lot more than, um, hiring employees or even education because products are a recurring expense. Everyone has to buy. Not all people are going to be um, comfortable spending a lot of money investing in their education, but every lash artist has to buy products. So that is something that products definitely has going for it. Um, and, uh, the TAM for products, which TAM stands for total addressable market, um, which is a very commonly used term in business. Um, the TAM for products is very big. Like we know that, uh, lash brands are able to get, you know, really sizable sales based on, you know, the number of lash artists that are in the U S in the world. Um, there's a, a big market and it's a market that's growing also very fast, like over 10% a year, which is very, very quick for as far as like, um, markets like this one go. Um, and the, there's, um, there's also companies like uh, PLA, which started in, I, I think, like 2019, Paris Lash Academy, um, that grew really, really quickly, grew to be a very large company. Um, that shows that there is still room for new companies mm -hmm. to gain market share in our market, which isn't true for, for a lot of markets. For something like the oil market, there's no room in the oil market for a small oil startup to come in and, and gain a lot of, of market share or like... Uh, or like newspapers, like there's not going to be a new startup newspaper that comes in and gains a ton of market share. But in our industry, it's already been, uh, because it's still a very new, very young industry with a lot of innovation still happening. There's a lot of room for new companies to grow and get sizable market share and grow quite a bit. Um, so those are kind of the, the potential returns of products, which make it, you know, kind of a more high risk, but also higher reward uh, endeavor. Um, and when you compare it to something like hiring employees, hiring employees is going to be lower risk. Um, but there's also, you have a much lower cap to the amount of return that you can get. Um, now the next one is studios. Um, so studios are going to be kind of the largest investment generally. I mean, obviously you could start a product line spending way more money than you spend on, um, studios, but, uh, in general, if you're like starting kind of a similar size product line to, it, it's hard to compare them, but like if you were in a position where you're like, okay, I could either start a product line or studios, like the studios are gonna cost more nine times out of 10. Um, and that is not necessarily like a, that does not necessarily mean that they're higher risk though, because one of the things about studios is that they, are a very stable return. Um, and so on the risk side, you're going to be spending more money and you have the commitment of uh, like a lease or purchasing space, um, which if you're leasing commercial space, the leases are often like five years, seven years, sometimes 10 years. Um, and so you're 
getting into a really big commitment, like it has to work out or else like your business has to declare bankruptcy in order for you to get out of the lease basically, or you have to buy out of the lease and it can be really expensive. Um, and then you also have the, uh, cost of, you know, doing a build out, which for studios, depending on the kind of space that you find, um, the build outs can range really drastically, but it's going to generally be a lot more money than you would have to spend, uh, starting a product line. And, um, the, uh, return for that money can be very, very stable, which means once you rent out those rooms, there's not going to be a lot of, uh, variance in the amount of money that you're making. You have a capped return for something like studios. Like you're not going to make, say you, you open a 10 studio, um, space and you get a lease for a space, you put 10 studios in there. You're not going to be making $500,000 a year off that space. Like you may be making, depending if you're on a really good market, you could make upwards of like 150,000 a year. If you're doing like really, really good. It is cap, but there is like a lot of potential in it. And so, so it's definitely a capped return, but it's a lot more stable than something like, and it's a lot less risky than something like products so yeah, you're like spending more money been open and rented for a year i don't even like think of the like no we barely spend any time on it it's great well it's like i'm always like oh my gosh am i doing enough am i doing this like you know whatever because i'm so used to having to like work 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 but mm-hmm. it like it is amazing how stable it is income wise yeah yeah no it's it's super stable and um it's a really really nice long-term uh like place to put money because you have to put more money in, but you can be a lot more certain that you're going to get a stable return on that money for a long period of time with much less overhead. Whereas something like a product line, maybe you have to spend less money in, but you're investing a lot more time and there's a lot more possibility for um, big variance in sales. The market could go up, the market could go down. Like you're, um, you have much less certainty in the return that you're going to get. Whereas studios, obviously there's still things you have to do. Like you have to have pretty studios. You have to have good branding for your studios. Um, and, and that's all stuff that you can do to kind of differentiate them and make them easier to rent out. But once you kind of get them rented out, they're pretty stable. Did you want to say something? No, I I get a message every day of someone being like, I came by your coffee shop and I would love to rent a room, you Uh know? And so it's like, I, there is a lot of back end work before starting up, Mm -hmm. like understanding the market, understanding your area, understanding the clientele, understanding the renters. But like once that's up, you know, if the place speaks for itself, it's going to be rented. Yeah. And, and it is true that there are some studios that like people set up and they're very difficult for them to rent out. Um, either because of things like the location or the price that they have to charge for the rooms in order to get to pay for like all their bills, like their lease maybe is high, um, or just the, the build out that they did in the space not, might not be, um, super attractive to renters. Um, there are risks that you take there in like, you have to do a good job with it in order to make, um, a space that people are going to be able to afford to rent and that will want to rent. But as long as you do all that stuff, right, then, um, you can expect a very good return. And that's, that's one of the reasons that it's, um, one of the kind of, uh, harsh truths of business is that it's way easier to do something a second time than it is to do this the first time. So like if we were to do a second studios now, we would have a very, very high 
likelihood of them being successful. Much, much, much higher than the likelihood of this first one being successful. This first one, you guys, it almost took me out. Luckily for us, the first one was successful. But but if like in a year from now you were like, hey, Maddie, let's build another lightheart, but like 3x the size and how bougie it is and everything, I'd be like, bring it on. Absolutely. Because you just know more, you understand more. You get it. But like, if I had to go back in time, uh, no thanks. No thanks. We kind of paid off the knowledge debt for studios that we had. And so now that we've kind of paid that off. I think I worked through the like year of trauma of opening the salon suites. Yeah. It was absolutely horrendous. Yeah, it was horrendous. It was bad. (laughs) But you know, we got through it and it's all better now. All um, better. But Happy yeah, girls. that was that was the end of the notes that I had. Do you have anything to, so to add about that? That was phenomenal. That was such you think that a was helpful information. Yeah. I, I hope that was like understandable. It was. Okay. Because I was understanding it and oh, I was responding to 50 DMs. Oh, perfect. I responded to like 45, 50 DMs just now. You guys. She's a machine. I had no where I was going with that, but I just wanted to like. <laughs> she just, just wanted to flex that. Tell me you're proud of me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so proud of you, buddy. <laughs> it's so much work. You did such a good job. I don't know how people don't respond to their DMs. Oh my gosh. I would yeah. feel so bad. Yeah, true. People ask me the nicest questions. That is so true. Everyone is so nice in the DMs. I just love responding to them. Everyone's like, why don't you outsource responding to your DMs? I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. It's a lot of work. It's a lot it of work. It's not it's not a high leverage activity, but it is. But boy, oh boy, I love doing it. And I I just think like why work so hard to like put yourself out there and build an education company and like have a following and all this stuff. And then then when people reach out, like I think I like social media because it is social. Big facts. Like I don't like social media to like flex or to. Yeah, you guys, the thing is, Madison, like. I, I hear a lot of people um, who see Instagram as like, oh, this is like part of my job description. Like I have to do Instagram. I have to post on Instagram because that's what I have to do in order for my business to be successful. Which like, yeah. Which is true. But also like, like it, you can enjoy it. I literally enjoy it. And like social media is social and like, when I get all these DMs, like I just knocked out so much yeah. of my DMs for the day just now. And, um, like, yeah, it makes my screen time pretty high. Like but maybe you just got to be like a certain type of person to enjoy it. Cause I don't think I would enjoy it. Sure. I think I would probably be one of the people who's like, Oh, it's just part of my job description. Part of what do you have to do? I like posting a funny thing on threads every three weeks. Um, but that like two other people, are that like, two other people like, funny. Hey, if you're listening to this, follow me on threads. It's fire my threads are so good i'm just saying you guys if you ask me a question on instagram i'm not i'm not bothered by it i like it i like responding to you guys i like helping you out when i can and i just like i know that if i was and my audience is also like lash artists and business owners and so if i was a lash artist and a business owner and i trusted someone enough to like ask them a question about my business or my artistry or deserve an answer yeah yeah like i, I mean would, you don't you don't deserve an answer but it's like yeah. i feel like you should give them an answer literally yeah i remember especially because it's like our business would not be successful without those questions no. like that's if people didn't I have want, those questions I just like to bring that up because i would say like a third of the messages i got just now were like so sorry to bother you queen i know don't you're be. busy don't ever be sorry to bother me you don't bother me you like, guys madison's favorite thing to do she'll she comes home she goes straight to bed, puts on her pajamas, and then lays in bed for like half the afternoon and just responds to DMs and like makes her posts on Instagram and comments on people's posts. And that's like her favorite part of the day. Guys, our customer service is tight. 
Yeah, because her cus- our customer service is her, and that's it. Our customer service is booba service first. Yeah, true. It's bestie and booba service. Facts. Okay? It's better Facts. than customer service. I love you guys so much. Yep, love you and so much. And until next time, we'll see you later. Smooches. Smooches.